Hello and welcome to Film Inquiries, the latest. This is a podcast series tackling the latest movie news, movie trends, and movie releases. I'm your host, Jesse Nussman. And on the other line, attempting to avenge his father and save his mother and kill Fiora, as Daniel Feingold. Hello. Thank you. The, the Northman reminds me a lot of our relationship and how I've been on a quest to murder you for the murder of my father so damn that's mean here we are i was honestly expecting you were just gonna i was waiting for i thought you were gonna do like just a loud like hark into the the microphone i'm i'm just a little worried about the anyone in the building because if i if i do it i really want to go for it we're kind of in not a a great movie or not a great room acoustics wise it's a very like loud echoing room hark hark triton Hark! That is the library version of the library version of of Willem Dafoe's of Willem Dafoe in the Lighthouse. Uh, yeah. So Daniel, today we're here to talk about two recent releases. Um, Sonic Two. Do you do you want to have five seconds on Sonic Two? I know you're the you're the biggest Sonic fan that I know, which so- is the only person I've ever encountered who <laughs> is like as uh, Sonic the Hedgehog is as important uh, as as he is to you. It's good IP. It's just it's good yeah. IP. It is Sonic is the best video game adaptation of all time. Sonic Two may be a little bit better than that. It leans into what it does best in the first one. Anyone who liked the first one. Definitely will enjoy the second one. And it did well at the box office, so I think the numbers prove that. Um, and I think it gained more life throughout the pandemic because it was re- first one was released right before the pandemic. Uh-huh. And once it hit streaming, I think people were able to see it a little bit more or see it again and be reminded of like, oh, yeah, this was a very pleasant time at the, at the movie theater. It's definitely its success as well as, um, I guess, this past weekend's number one, which we're not going to talk about, um, which is called The Bad Guys, just really indicates that families are returning to movie theaters. So I guess that's a that's a good thing. Um, we'll not be talking about The, the Bad Guys. Um, it, is, it is interesting, though, because the other two movies we're going to talk about, uh, Robert Eggers' Viking action epic, The Northmen, and then the very meta Nicolas Cage comedy and unbearable weight of massive talent. Um, three original movies all coming out in one weekend. Pretty kind of rare. I mean, two of those movies did really, really bad. And I think um, I sort of saw that maybe Sony was kind of lowballing the uh, the success of the bad guys in order to make it seem a little bit better than it maybe actually did, but just something unique to to point out. Original movies all coming out in one weekend, but clearly audiences don't seem to want to go out and see original movies at the moment, it seems. Yeah, that's unfortunate. And that's also included everything everywhere all at once. I mean, right. Hollywood still is, I mean, this year in particular, it seems like Hollywood is offering us new creative ideas you could say ambulance is also a new movie it is certainly a a movie that we have seen similar versions of but it is not based on ip or 
an adaptation of a video game or a TV show, what have you. Um, so I don't know. I guess the box office isn't back, but maybe like Hollywood is not as dead as we thought it was. Maybe, maybe that, that, that's, that's looking hopeful. And I mean, it, it is good that like everything everywhere all at once for as small scale of a movie, you, you know, it's, it's not in as many theaters, I think worldwide as these other movies that we're talking about that got much, much wider releases. It's been more of a gradual release, but it's done really, really good business. And I think has like some of the highest, per screen average uh, numbers of this year. So in that it does seem to be a movie that has, if not universal appeal, um, like what, 95, 90%, 96. Like I, I'm not talking a Rotten Tomatoes score, but of just like, I've, I've can maybe have only heard like one or two people maybe say I didn't critics, including who said, I didn't really care for the movie. I think most people I know who have seen it have, have really loved it and it seems like the most wide consensus like that was incredible since maybe parasite came out yeah. of like a movie that people just seem to be walking out of and were like wow that was amazing yeah the critiques for that movie even if you have some mm-hmm. do not take away from the creativity the beauty of it um, right the performances so yeah i'm, I'm glad that at least is is being seen as much as it is. And I think that will continue to have a life of its own once it does hit on demand, streaming, what have you. So let's talk about The Northman first. The new film from Robert Eggers, who I would say is one of the more exciting filmmakers to have um, emerged in the last five or six years. Uh, he made The Witch in like 2015, 2015. 2016. Okay. I, I knew it was around that time um, and then followed it up with. The Lighthouse uh, a couple years ago, and this is this feels like a leveling up to doing like a much bigger, much more sweeping movie, um, but still very, very much feels like one artist's sort of singular work and sort of singular voice, and feels uh, connected to the other stuff he's made, even if this is maybe like. A, a bit more of a more commercial movie. I mean, certainly when compared to like The Witch, a sort of slow burn atmospheric horror movie, and then The Lighthouse, which is maybe the weirdest American movie of the last like five or six years. Um, I don't know. You really like The Northman as well. Give me your your thoughts because we haven't we you and I have only sort of like passingly in text messages sort of discussed our thoughts about the movie with each other. Yeah, I mean, to your point, this is I think the most accessible on a wide scale movie that he has done yes. so far. Uh, that said, it is still very weird. There are very odd scenes mm-hmm. in this movie, but it's fantastic. I think I texted another friend who's a big movie fan and just said this is about as close to like a five out of five as i'd ever give oh wow um because it just immediately once it was over i wanted to see it again and i think there's going to be rewards for seeing it again by picking up on certain things and just just letting it wash over you i had great seats like i was very close to the screen center right in the theater and i kind of said to myself 
under my breath, wow, as soon as the movie started. Like, just, it is it is gruesome, it is graphic, it is violent, it is gross at many points, but it is also beautiful. Mm-hmm. And not surprising from Eggers, but that quickly, I was kind of like, <laughs> my breath was taken away just when it starts. Um, the performance is fantastic. The direction's great. The... It's two hours and I want to say twenty five ish minutes. It's yeah, it's some it's somewhere between two and two and a half hours. Yeah. It's it you know falls somewhere in that thirty minute spectrum right there. And you know me, I will pretty much watch anything less than ninety minutes mm-hmm. and give a lot of leeway to anything under ninety minutes because ultimately, eh, I only spent. 85 minutes on that Texas Chainsaw Massacre Netflix disaster. Right. Whatever. This is a two and a half hour movie that you don't feel like it's two and a half hours. You no. don't mind that it's two and a half hours. If this was four hours, I would have continued watching. Um, so I, I can't say enough good things. I can't see it's still early in the year. I can't possibly see this not being in my top 10 at least. Not that that means anything, but I really do hope that focus features strongly pushes this for award season because i i just i i think it deserves to be there certainly at least deserves to be there for technical categories oh yeah um and it it is a movie that sort of gets to you on a very like visceral level i mean i mean it it is a movie you can you can sort of feel it on on an elemental level it has this like thunderous booming loud score to it with like drum these like loud battle drums to it. it is a movie that is out in the world but in like very very harsh grimy muddy bloody environments it's got like a texture to it that you can feel i mean it it, it feels like a movie i think to to kind of piggyback off of that sort of jolt you get watching it of like it it gets under your your fingernails and and gets a grime on you in a good way. And it it just sort of not so much washes over you as just sort of like runs into you and like hits you like a linebacker um, of just sort of how like bold and confident it's, it's aesthetics are. Um, and it, it's been interesting at listening to Eggers talk about this movie because unlike the witch and the lighthouse, which were much smaller scale. Um, this is a movie where he, I think had to compromise some with the studio to kind of make it a little bit more commercial. And he seems, I think a little bit, I think he seems clearly proud of the movie and seems to have made a movie that he would not have normally, you know, I, I think he got some notes to maybe lean into aspects of, filmmaking and making it a little bit more accessible and a little bit more commercial that he are, are not sort of what he instinctively leans into um but maybe feels a little bit uh upset that he didn't quite get to put the sort of full untapped vision on screen but i i would say this this still feels very very true to him he is a director that i think now after having seen three movies like this this guy is a like cinematic anthropologist basically. He's really interested in like very very regional and period specific worlds and loves to immerse himself in the rituals, 
the um the dialogue the myths of these cultures whether it's sort of puritan colonial new england in the witch or also new england but like 1800s new england seamen and the way they talk and the sort of like sea myths that they carry with each other to then this movie which is not in icelandic but has this like tries to replicate kind of that dialect with the dialogue and every sort of bit you could tell that this is like so incredibly fussed over in terms of period detail and making sure it is like to the t correct as well as just sort of like leaning into all these like myths and rituals and legends and not needing to sort of over explain them to an audience but just sort of instinctively trust your audience to kind of if not get it then to just sort of feel like it is further immersing you in this world which i think also fits to that kind of like washing over you are being like smacked like a linebacker of you just feel fully immersed in this world and feel like even the smallest little details are thought of and carefully considered i am very happy for him that he did get to still include some bodily gases in the movie there's fart jokes yeah yeah that it's, does happen it's a movie so that's funny at times if, if you want that payoff again from the lighthouse we get it here yeah. um do you think that given how it did, has performed so far at the box office and granted it relative to what expectations were did fine mm-hmm still compared to a mo- what a movie like this would have done 10, 15, 20 years ago, not yeah. great. I mean, it's it's a it was a pretty expensive movie. I think yeah. the estimated budget was somewhere between like 70 and 90 million. So, um, you know, I, I guess it's kind of hard for me to read what the expectations were of it. And we're obviously in this like weird moment box office wise that it's like, I don't know. I, I guess I just kind of like left it after the press screening I was at and was just like, that movie, just considering the climate, is probably going to do terrible, but I guarantee you will be the kind of thing that, like, in a month, two months, whenever it's on a streaming service, like, there's going to be this big comeback wave of appreciation of people being like, oh, you know what movie actually really rules and is really great is The Northman. Like, I can't believe we didn't go see this. It, it'll be the same thing that kind of happened with, like... um. What was the Ridley Scott movie last year? The um, Last Duel. Yeah, The Last Duel, or even kind of happened with West Side Story, which as that movie like underperformed over the Christmas holiday. It bombed. And, it yeah, bombed. it bombed. And then when it g- went on Disney Plus like a month ago, then all my social media was all these people who hadn't seen it yet. would be like, Steven Spielberg's West Side Story remake is actually kind of awesome and is like one of the best movies of last year. And we just like ignored it. So I think something like that will probably just happen to this movie. I did when, when we were talking about, it, I think before I had seen it, when, when you were expressing your box office thoughts about it, I think I did compare it to potentially being the last duel where mm. it, great movie that no one ends up seeing in theaters. Right. But I do wonder. So my, my question is given the fact that, He's not working with A24 this time. Mm-hmm. Focus features. He did have to go through some test screenings. It wasn't his final cut or how he would have necessarily put it out into the world. Do you think it would have made a difference if we got an Eggers three and a half hour Northman movie 
given what we know now about its box office performance, do you think it would have done any less, any more same? I don't know. It's kind of it's kind of hard to say. I mean, I I don't know, and maybe some of that is a question of maybe that version of the movie would have sucked. Of he he seems even a little in interviews like a little down that he didn't get to do his full version, but also maybe it seems to have a little bit of self-awareness into like, maybe that movie would not have connected with people. It's probably also baked into him knowing how much of a budget he got to make this one. And right. just being appreciative that he was right. able to create this movie with the, with the yeah. money that he got. And knowing he is someone that, like I said, is very, his interest is in, all of that period detail that I mentioned. He loves just sort of like exploring these, these, like I said, very specific cultures and very specific parts of the world at very specific times. And that isn't necessarily like the interest of an audience and not saying like what you have to have one over the other, but maybe, maybe it comes as a benefit of there's enough of that and enough of his interest in this movie. While also like, I think as a story, you know, it's it's a revenge story. Like, there, what's arguably yeah, we, more commercial than like revenge? It's. Do we it, want to talk about what the plot essentially I mean, is? It's, it's Hamlet, right? Like, yeah. it's basically Alexander Skarsgård plays the son of a Viking king, played by Ethan Hawke. Uh, I don't think it's any spoiler to say it's in the trailer. Uh, Ethan Hawke is killed off by the the uncle in the family, and Alexander Skarsgård flees grows up into a like insanely buff like seven foot tall bear man essentially and returns home uh accompanied by um a, or you know he returns home as a slave and with him is uh a, another woman played by Anya Taylor-Joy who Robert Eggers kind of discovered in the witch and now she's blown up into this huge movie star and she is kind of a shaman figure who maybe can wield some magic of her own, just like he can wield a sword and the two of them sort of uh, team up together to exact revenge on his uncle and win back his kingdom and rescue his mother played by Nicole Kidman. Um, That's kind of all I want to give away because there are some sort of like twists and turns later in the movie um obviously other people in the cast Willem Dafoe makes an appearance in a couple scenes as a uh gesture of the court and uh Bjork has one scene as a witch um what what did you think of the the performances in it because I think I've seen a lot of people even like minor digs they've made against the movie of like some of the performances are kind of campy but that but I agree with that while also saying I kind of love that. And it really feels like everyone in this cast, like quote, understanding the assignment and either going really big and ridiculous, or you can feel them like going to the, the furthest edge in terms of commitment to the character. And just of like, I don't, you clearly like just lost your, like, Skarsgård in particular, like when I say becomes a bear man, it's like Skarsgård probably, I I have to imagine like 
Eggers just broke him down of just being out in the like freezing mud all day and probably like did just become an, an animal of a man at a certain point making this. I, I love this for Alexander Skarsgård because I for a while have thought that he's just such an under appreciated or underutilized mm-hmm. actor. Um, He's fantastic. But yeah, as far as like understanding the assignment, I think that that hits the nail right on the head. There are arguably campy quote unquote performances, but that is what the movie calls for and what their roles call for in some yeah. cases. I think for a time, Nicole Kidman and Annie Taylor Joy, Anya Taylor Joy's characters call for more grounded performances or not as over the top. Mm-hmm. And I say for a time for a reason, but yeah. N- I- Nicole lets it loose at one moment. I don't want to spoil what it is, but there is a part where like you clearly see what attracted Nicole Kidman to playing the, this more than just more than meets the eye in terms of the character and gets a moment where she's really just able to like go big and loud and, and campy and, and like a little bit like you, you can tell she's having fun doing it. And it, it, it's Nicole Kidman. Like, forgive me if I'm just going to accept whatever performance she is doing, even if, even in a movie that I may not like. Right. It's Nicole Kidman. She's fantastic. Let her do her thing. Right. I'm not going to criticize. Um, Andy Tillerjoy, same, same thing at this yeah. point where she, she has a great track record already. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, dare I say, a prequel, this is just a prequel to, the queen's gambit so if you if you want to see more of what beth is up to before the queen's gambit this this is what was going on but yeah willem dafoe delightful when he pops up in the movie and it's kind of like a you know leo pointing at the screen i don't, type I don't think it's a spoiler to mention like when willem dafoe shows up he literally like stands up on a stool and like wields a dildo at someone like that's that's the energy he's coming into this movie as and 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 i wanted to bring up the performances because i think we've kind of like talked at at nauseum about like the sheer brutality of this movie and the intensity of it but it it isn't i think there's a sense it's also got like a sense of absurdity to it of i think eggers in showing this kind of like uh unsaturated look at viking culture like I, I don't know about you. I kind of walked out of the movie being like, "Vikings are crazy people," and like I'm good riddance a little bit of of like there is a point I think later in the movie where, um, I personally felt a little bit of I'm trying to tiptoe around this spoiler wise, but a little bit of disconnect with the having an emotional investment in the revenge aspect of it. But I think it still winds up feeling rewarding at the end because it kind of winds up being this tying into this theme of just how like soul sucking revenge can be. And of just like you're basically the, the idea of being set on this faded course to where you're just sort of torpedoing towards one conclusion of like, I have to kill this man. And then it's like you basically explode into oblivion and if that's the end and i think eggers has a certain 
absurdity, a certain knowledge of the whole absurdity of this whole way of life that these Viking characters are living and the sort of instability of it and this idea of like just brutal violence at the center of every single interaction and every single ritual. Um, I don't know. That's something I just kind of like have thought of in the coming days, especially seeing like some people who haven't seen the movie being a little apprehensive of like, Oh, is this going to be like a very like broy, almost like men's rights sort of like real men. Robert Eggers is going to take us back to a time when real men could be men or like, like people thinking that this movie is whatever that like ad for the Tucker Carlson, like a celebration of men documentary is. I would if, s- if you have not seen this and don't know what I'm talking about, please, please blink. <laughs> yeah. Just, just go on Twitter. Yes. Um, <laughs> um, I would say it's, it's, it, it's not that, no. um, but and to its credit and I actually have to, to, to make this, I guess like a, a take podcast because sure. we, so we don't, we don't we, agree on everything. We love takes. Um, I actually felt the longer the movie went on and when those kind of twists and turns happened, Mm -hmm. not that I felt more connected, but it gave me more to think about. And I Mm -hmm. appreciated that, that it wasn't necessarily again, without really trying to spoil anything. It didn't, it wasn't just a straight up by the numbers revenge story. There's more going on. And I did appreciate that there was some more stuff to kind of chew on and kind of consider um, especially in the second half of the movie. And again, maybe maybe I will change my mind on that yeah. after a second viewing. I, I actually agree with you of like, I, I, I think that kind of gets into what I was saying of like the second half of the movie, it or more of like the, especially the last third of the movie, whenever the sort of like more reveal stuff happens in it, it becoming like less this like, hoorah, yeah, like bloodlust revenge movie um and more about a movie that makes you think of like yeah is revenge just as an idea and building your whole life and sort of like self-identity behind getting vengeance on someone is that ultimately like mutually destructive to everyone um which you know i think that's fascinating and i think that's kind of like for for anyone who is worried about this being a, a a bit of like an sort of overly steroided up movie, like I was sort of saying, I, I think it's got a little bit more on its mind than just sort of being like, yeah, isn't it awesome when this dude gets a sword through his face? Yeah, there's a lot of violence, but there's more to it. That There's more there than just, yeah. just the violence. Even though those moments in the movie are <laughs> awesome. <laughs> like, Absolutely. Like, like Eggers, is bo- Eggers is having a little bit of like having his cake and eating it, 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 it too of like is able to, I think, comment on this, the, the Viking culture of violence while also like, you know, this movie ends with a naked sword fight on an active volcano like he's he's having fun also indulging in like the operatic spectacle of it all yeah begins with me saying wow or oh my god to ending with me going oh my god yes (laughs) i feel like if if we had seen this together and maybe we will watch it a second viewing to like i would have this would have been a movie where you kind of like 
smack each other on the arm or just like look at each other like holy shit the entire yes. time um go with me here on what i've considered and i don't want to com- really compare it to stuff but i'm going to compare it to other yeah yeah for, for for anyone who may be on the fence i would say all the best parts of hamlet game of thrones the vikings tv show uh-huh um the revenant that, and, I did think of The Revenant in terms of like on the ride home. I was like, what was the last movie I saw that was like that intense and brutal throughout it? And it was probably The Revenant, even though that's a movie I don't really like and think unlike this, that movie is like a punishing slog. Fair, fair. But continue. Uh, and then I would just I would also mix in maybe not seeing this one coming place beyond the pines. Interesting. That, that that's a new addition a, to a the, movie the combination about of, fathers and sons, yeah, in a way, and, and just kind of the psych, the the, the, the cycle the, of yeah. violence, yeah, yes, interesting. Well, um, I think we can transition to our next movie, um, but I I think we both are are clearly just like over the moon for see the Northman, the Northman. Yeah, I mean, I would I would say go see it in a theater. I mean. I'm sure so many people will catch up with this later on streaming, but to to see it in a theater and see the spectacle of it all and that just sort of overwhelming sound design of it, it, it you know, it's one of the, I think, like great big screen experiences of the year thus far. You want to get the the audio from the theater of the farting and burping. <laughs> Plus, I do, did you notice that there's there is kind of, and this is more of like it's kind of an ambient sound throughout the the score. Yeah, a little bit like Dune in the. There's that one character in Dune where the weird oh, the, noise, the vocal yes. chanting. Yeah. yeah, there's a little bit of that going on throughout the movie that I really love. Yes, and maybe because of Dune, but I noticed it, and it's again, it's it's ambient. It, it it's not, adds to that that like thundering bass of like you you feel it in like the the pit of your gut yeah. as, as the movie's going on. Um, so the other one that kind of came out this past weekend that you and I did get to see together is the unbearable weight of massive talent, which is this new meta comedy with Nicholas cage playing himself. Um, you're a very big Nicholas cage fan. Maybe, maybe the best place to start with a movie about Nicolas Cage in a weird way is to have you talk about what your relationship is with Nicolas Cage and why you love Nicolas Cage so much. And maybe for us to both together examine like what makes Nicolas Cage, Nicolas Cage and these sort of, I I feel like an interesting star in that the, the sort of up and down trajectory of his career in sort of the public eye, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's a good caveat in the public eye because as a Nicolas Cage fan, right. I would ne- I would say it's all never, it's, it's been it's a home run since yeah. the mid eighties. Yeah, I there are people who appreciate him or like him ironically. I those people annoy me. Well, I, yes, right. So yeah, I know I, you are not that yeah, kind of person. I, I, but... I want to make that point because I want to make it clear that I just genuinely love Nicolas Cage mm-hmm. and think he is a singular talent in mm-hmm. Hollywood. Um, and God has graced us 
the 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 Northmen gods have graced us. The with, Norse gods have yeah ridden down from Valhalla and bestowed <laughs> Nicolas Cage upon us. I think my relationship with him certainly started before this, but when I really appreciated him is when he starred in a Ridley Scott movie, surprisingly a Ridley Scott movie, Matchstick Men. Which, really, really good movie. Yeah. I, I think I, I think you and I have talked about this. Like, I think it's the most underrated Ridley Scott movie of like one that people don't think of as a Ridley Scott exactly. movie, but is actually like very entertaining. And Cage is really good in it. I, I that is one of my favorite movies of all time. And I, as someone who has OCD, mm-hmm. manifesting completely different than how it manifests for his character in that movie. You've never told a pharmacist to piss blood. <laughs> amazing scene i mean so that that movie was when i was like i nicholas cage he's my dude uh-huh. like he he he's got that like i just i i've watched that movie so many times even though that movie is fully about the reveal mm-hmm. and it still never gets old to me i just i love i love sam rockwell as well but nicholas cage another just someone who was so present in my life growing up before matchstick mm-hmm. men after matchstick men there's just something I admire about his willingness to work, even if it's something that is not a box office success, not no. a success in the eyes of critics, fans. This guy just likes to work, and that is something that is a, is referenced and addressed in this movie. Mm-hmm. And we can, I mean, we can go all the way back to like you know something like Con Air, another movie that was seminal to me growing up mm-hmm. definitely saw it way too young but a, f- a family favorite was, was that face the, off what was the first thing you saw him in probably that you can think of the first thing that i can definitely remember is face off which again okay. i definitely saw way too young but so you you and i you're a little bit older than me but we both probably were introduced to him during i would say his like peak movie star period of like the late 90s through the 2000s because for me it was probably like national treasure coming out and like being really into like Indiana Jones and any kind of like treasure hunting and sort of like, so seeing that when it came out in theaters, cause anything that was like, Oh, there's a, there's a treasure map on the back of the declaration of, of independence. Like that's absurd now, but like was <laughs> enticing for however old I was when that came out. Um, and that was so like that era of movies that yes. probably if that movie gets made it get comes out now i mean i guess that's that's uncharted a little bit and it's like oh, that God. that doesn't doesn't really like no one really cares Ugh. um i but, mean national treasure is not that good but that <laughs> national the the that's that statement you just made says so much about the lack of just personality in so many of our blockbusters that like uncharted which i think w- you and I did not see together, but like, I think we both had the same reaction of kind of like, is such a shrug of a movie and national treasure for as like absurd as it is, has a level of like commitment from everyone involved that, um, I don't know that man. What a, <laughs> I'm sorry. What a, I'm sorry what a, to upset you. Sad thing to, to realize. That is that is <laughs> where where we are. Um, yes. But but I think another another point that I wanted to make about Nicolas Cage is, which is just a funny line to say. Another point that I need to make about Nicolas Cage is there are movies that 
work better or are elevated by certain actors, then there are movies that only work because of an actor. Mm. And I think that is, I can say that more about Nicolas Cage than Definitely. maybe any other actor or yeah. performer out there. There are just some movies that like the appeal is specifically Nicolas Cage, Vampire's Kiss. Nicolas Cage is a yuppie who thinks he's a vampire. I will watch it however many times you put it in front of me. I mm-hmm. don't care. I will show it to friends. I will force them to watch it. He is walking the streets saying I am a vampire. And I, you know what? I believe him. So it's just, it's, it's performances like that. Even something as small as, uh, I think it's called uh, Willie's Wonderland mm-hmm. that came out during the pandemic. Small movie. Basically, if the Chuck E. Cheese dolls formed into living murder machines and he's thrown into that world and has to deal with it. Mm -hmm. That movie is totally sold on the appeal of seeing Nicolas Cage be crazy and be Nicolas Cage. And again, it is not an ironic thing. I love him. He just, there's, there is a certain appeal. Obviously there, obviously everyone saw this certain appeal because like you were saying in the, in the nineties, early two thousands, when he was kind of at his peak in the public eye, Mm -hmm he could do you know this he was the guy um yeah so even even at his low points i still appreciate his work yeah i think it's it's worth us kind of like looking at the the arc of his career because you know i feel like he kind of comes on the scene in like in the 80s and for most of the 80s and like early 90s he's he's sort of this very i feel like he's not a superstar but he's this like slightly over the top but like i feel like the 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 movie world's image of him is like this guy's odd but there's like a captivating oddness about him in in movies like you know the the key movies i think of from like this era is like you know like raising arizona or like moon moonstruck is i think like the best example of him kind of in this era of there he's he's over the top and kind of typical Nick Cage fashion in Moonstruck and he's he's playing a little bit of like a weirdo character but there's something kind of captivating about him or like I remember watching that movie with a girl I was dating once and she was like there's something kind of hot about him in this movie but like she could not put her finger on it of like you know he has like a wooden hand and stuff and he's like screaming and has this like ridiculous new york accent but there's there's something like about how like intense and kind of haunted he is at the same time that i guess is like you kind of can't take your eyes off him and you know he's in i mean he's related to francis ford coppola for anyone who doesn't know i think he's francis ford coppola's nephew and so he's in some of his movies um you know working with people like david lynch um in wild at heart uh and then 1996 wins best actor for leaving las vegas have you seen that movie i'm not yeah i mean kind of a movie that i feel like is a little it's pretty good i've watched it during the pandemic it's a little like weirdly lost to time um but pretty solid basically him playing an alcoholic who um goes out to las vegas to kind of drink himself to death and ends up kind of forming this romantic relationship with a, a call girl out there. Um, but pretty good movie. He's really good in it. He wins best actor. 
And then that kicks off, you know, the following year he's in The Rock, the Michael Bay movie. And that it really kicks off, I think, him as a big blockbuster star of it's it's weird to think he was probably like the biggest American action star for like a period of time in like the late nineties, basically with stuff like Con Air and Face Off and um, what's the the car one with Angelina Jolie gone in 60, gone seconds. 60 seconds also um, re- also referenced in Massive also Talons. yes re- reference in this new movie um, National Treasure even though that's going a little bit into the the 2000s and but yeah that that whole stretch is really again like the the peak of in the public perception or right. his status in Hollywood and doing prestige stuff as well I mean he does like probably my favorite Nicolas Cage movies adaptation mm-hmm. the the Spike Jones movie that Charlie Kaufman wrote. Um, and then, or, you know, stuff that maybe didn't take off as, as Oscar ish, but like, I know you mentioned, I've never seen it, but you being a big fan of the weatherman, which I, I think it was built. I remember at the time when that came out is like, this is another like big Oscar movie, even though it didn't really land as that when it came out, that movie also shows. And again, I am, biased and i can understand if anyone is like no this is this movie's trash and his performance is trash but i for me that shows that he can just play a normal Mm -hmm. everyman Mm -hmm. that you can kind of experience through the eyes of you know the story through the eyes of him um that movie again is like something that i just kind of it was just on tv or on hbo or wherever it was that i remember watching 500 times growing up and just being like do I want a family? I don't know. Nicholas Cage seems really convinced that he wants one. So just he, the, the, there's something captivating, captivating about his performances, but I think he's also so, so multifaceted mm-hmm. and it, I didn't really consider this until you were discussing his, his career and how the public perceives him and how he's kind of like this unique person maybe a little bit like how we view Christopher Walken where it's almost like interesting people almost go into it, it almost unfairly towards Christopher Walken or Nicolas Cage like where they go it, into the movie expecting oh I'm gonna watch Nicolas Cage I'm gonna watch Christopher Walken and not giving into the character right them sort of becoming leaning into I think how much cage has done this over the years is a little bit of an interesting conversation, but the idea of like leaning a bit into the cartoonish public persona of them in movies. And then that becomes of like, you know, interesting thinking of like how we perceive Christopher Walken to then you go back and watch like the deer hunter or something. And it'd be like, wait, what? This is the same person. Um, But yeah. And, and then after this kind of blockbuster period that we talked about, like, I mean, I'm curious when you think the tip off, the, the the sort of driving off the cliff is. I feel like it's around like late 2000s with like movies like The Wicker Man, infamously. Even though I think that has a reputation as like a so bad it's good movie. This is obviously like the the remake of The Wicker Man, the original 70s where Wicker Man is a great movie, and um, if you haven't seen it, you should go check it out. Um, <laughs> but you know, like his remake of The Wicker Man that he's in. Ghost Rider, you I know, I, Ghost Rider. I feel like those two, I forget which one, I feel like they both came out around the same time, but sort of that is when I sort of feel like the car kind of goes off the cliff and then 
for several years, it becomes Nicolas Cage is a guy who's just in not just bad studio movies, but then of like bad schlocky, like direct to video movies and people even going as far as being like, he's not just in bad movies. He's a bad actor. He's always over the top, even going back to older movies in this period. And I feel like people going like, you know what? Maybe he was always bad. And we like over, over uh, reacted to that. And now I think we've, you know, especially in the press for this movie, I think he's been a little bit more open about that time period and saying like, um, you know, to kind of touch on what you mentioned earlier, like in terms of him doing like, a, you know, not having any pretensions about the kinds of movies he's in. Like, I feel like he's been open lately about like, look, I've had some money problems in the past and um, which is something this mo- new movie kind of plays with. But, you know, him saying I had a lot of debts. I had a lot of spending problems at one point. And I had to work constantly in order to pay off those debts and be able to sort of get myself out of a hole. But I think it's a testament to his, the respect he has for the craft of acting and for the other people he works with that even if it's the most like schlocky disposable material possible, he's going to give it like 110%. And absolutely, he's not going to phone. Nicholas Cage is never going to phone it in. And I feel like now people can maybe, even though a lot of those movies are, he's been in a lot of bad movies. I feel like there's a way we can kind of come around to seeing a, a sort of badge of dignity in him giving his all, even if it's like, season of the witch or like i'm trying to remember some of these like really trashy nicholas cage movies that came out drive angry yes something like something like that and then now just kind of like wrap up this career arc thing and then i'll pass it to you like now i feel like we've got i feel like that morphed into as you mentioned the like almost annoying now like ironic appreciation of nicholas cage to then now i feel like people have come around to a genuine like what you said like there's no one else like this guy and he actually can be really good a lot of the time and it often takes like filmmakers or people he works with to know how to use him really well i think we saw a great example of it last year in pig which i think you read that on paper and it sounds like the kind of crazy like irony nicholas like nicholas cage plays a crazy person who's getting revenge on someone for taking their pig and then it comes out and it's him giving this very subtle very like beautiful performance and it's a movie about like grief and loss and how we learn to live with those things and is like one of the best performances of his career i thought should have been nominated for an oscar but like it's it's interesting of like he's still an actor who's able to constantly surprise because I think there has been this weird like back and forth of him being this huge star to people people thinking he's a good actor, people not thinking he's a good actor, people thinking he's this like disposable VOD action guy. Um I don't know. I just kind of had to, to finish the arc of his career. No, he's he's had a string of of really 
good kind of lower key, like not big studio movies. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, Color Out of Space, Mandy was a pretty big deal considering a small budget, a smaller Mm -hmm. movie, Pig, which, yeah, I think there there was talk about kind of, yeah, was he was he snubbed? I I think he was. Yeah. Um. So Willy's Wonderland, even ninety minute movie, crazy movie, mm-hmm. perfectly acceptable. You know, so there has been this kind of resurgence that's really been quieter because it mm-hmm. hasn't been. He hasn't been in like this a massive blockbuster. I get, this I would say is probably the most marketed movie that he's been in it in that, a few years. Yeah, that's that seems fair. And seeing I think what's important is seeing movies like the web him and the weatherman, him and massive talent, mm-hmm. I think shows a more normal side of him. Mm-hmm. And even if in like just going back to kind of you talking your point about his love for the craft of acting. Mm-hmm. If you watch those wonderful GQ videos that they put out of, he takes it very, very yeah, seriously. Actors talking about their most iconic roles. He clearly loves filmmaking and acting and seems like a genuine person. It doesn't matter what it is. Cause you know, those it, it's, I'm glad you brought that up. Cause you know, there's always like one project that you know people in those videos are like oh that's the one i was really proud to be in or some people will be like oh i don't know well that was a weird experience doing that one but like i guess it has a little bit of a life of like no every every, that one with him like every single one he's like very emotional and very serious about like this is what was going through my head and it doesn't matter like how ridiculous the movie was the genre stuff of he he's going to give it 110 percent and yeah, to, to to massive talent. One, I want to give credit to the studio for. Granted, it didn't do amazing at the box office, but I do it, want to give credit. It did really bad at the box yeah. office. Not <laughs> not surprising with a movie that is like very high concept and has like an insanely long title that even I had trouble remembering it sometimes. But I do want to give it give the studio credit for marketing it at least in commercials mm-hmm. as just massive talent instead mm-hmm. of saying the unbearable weight of massive talent, which kind of gives you harley quinn birds of prey vibes where they ended up yes. actually shortening the title when don't it was you marketed think that sometimes creates a little bit of a confusion absolutely with people but I, I do at least want to tip my cap to them like acknowledging that the unbearable weight of massive talent is a lot to say and mm-hmm. a lot for people to remember yeah um does, doesn't exactly roll off the tongue um it's kind of caught between, I feel like, a a movie that would be released by a smaller studio mm-hmm. or is maybe made for a more modest budget, but then also has the big Hollywood kind of marketing campaign right. behind it. It's kind of mixed between that. A little bit mixed between like a, something like a uh, an adaptation that I mentioned, a little like a very, very high concept, slightly prestige movie, or like a big kind of summer action comedy. Yeah. And, um, which, is, which is maybe like a door to get into actually talking about the movie, which um, like I said, Nicolas Cage plays a, a fictional version of himself. Uh, I feel like very much throughout the movie is, I feel like the movie for me, I'm a little bit more mixed on it than you are. And I think for me, 
the movie is funnier and far more interesting when it is clearly or when it is largely cage both sort of having fun with lampooning but also interrogating like his legacy as a movie star and the sort of public perception of him over the years you know as this like insanely workaholic guy someone who has it really terrible with money and like spins exorbitant uh, ex- <laughs> spins like an insane amount on like the most trivial of things um someone who is like very over the top and is very like over eager all the time um whether or not any of those things are true or true to the extent of the movie i think is part of the fun of it but then to me the movie becomes less funny and i think less interesting as it gradually becomes more of this action movie about a like really could be anyone kind of like washed up action star who um in in the movie cage is struggling to pay some bills is maybe considering he needs to step away from acting because he can't get the kind of roles he wants and has poor relationship with his daughter poor relationship with his ex-wife both fictional in the movie and his agent played by neil patrick harris gives him an offer go to this rich guy in spain's birthday party he'll pay you a million dollars cage goes uh the millionaires played by pedro pascal and it eventually becomes this like buddy action comedy where cage is soon recruited by the CIA, one of the CIA agents played by um, Tiffany Haddish, and they tell him that this millionaire guy is involved in like the cartel up in Spain and they need him to kind of like act as their their mole inside this guy's inner circle. Um, and I think the more that it becomes about like Nicholas Cage, the, uh, Nicholas Cage needs to help the CIA take down the the cartel over in Europe, then like the less interested I am in the movie is I was more interested in this idea of like, who is Nicholas Cage? And, and like, what does, how much does Nicholas Cage want to play around with like that idea of like, what is my legacy as a movie star? And what, what is my sort of larger image, whether it's true or not? Um, but I don't know. I'll pass it to you because I've been talking a while and I think you like this movie a lot more than I did. I, I don't I don't dislike it. I'm just sort of like mixed on it of like the parts in it I think are good are like really, really interesting and ripe for like a very funny, very fascinating movie. And it kind of just turns into a movie I've like thought was not as interesting. Yeah, I don't, I don't think the movie is fantastic or praiseworthy beyond like here's where I come down on it. It's, Mm -hmm. it satisfied me. It was what I wanted. It was like a perfectly enjoyable experience. Mm -hmm. So that I guess was maybe an expectation thing. Um, but I will say while I think you're, I think you're absolutely right. And I agree with the movie does become a little less interesting maybe in the second half when it does fall more into the kind of action movie trope mm-hmm. that is also still meta on right the type of type some of the movies that we have seen it, him in it or, does speaking of adaptation earlier kind of 
turn at one point into like an adaptation thing of like the movie become sort of starts to become the thing the characters are talking about like shoot do we need to change it to like be more commercial but you know there's a whole subplot in this movie of pedro pascal and nicholas cage trying to write their own movie and then but the movie they're trying to write is also kind of the movie that we are watching in a weird way and the movie we're watching becomes it evolves into basically what maybe the peak of Nicolas Cage's career was of these kind of action movies. Right. Um, and just nod to, I just noticed Ike Barinholtz and Tiffany Haddish. I believe this is like at least their third project working together, which I found interesting. Um, he is the other FBI agent. Right, right, um, right. Yes. But, uh, and also hat tip. I thought as fun as it was seeing Nicolas Cage be Nicolas Cage, a heightened version of himself. Um, I thought Pedro Pascal was going like 150% that, here. I will say they do have a great chemistry together. I, I think is probably like the other big thing I liked about the movie is, is they, I, I would almost be fine if they did another, if they want to become their own like comedy buddy pairing just on the new screen. the new brad pitt and or i'm sorry um ben affleck and matt damon just like they will forever oh be i wasn't even together. i was thinking you know the new owen wilson and vince vaughn or the, the rock new, and kevin hart sure or the new you know uh <laughs> gene wilder and richard Pryor or something like that you know sure. just do like two more movies together the varying Absolutely. plots or something like that yeah pedro pascal fantastic in this movie um in a, in a movie that is is not his but he is fan he's just he's just great he's a delight yeah. um another another one of those actors who kind of just like whatever he shows up in it's like yeah pedro pascal he's gonna kick some ass like yeah. he's gonna he's gonna he's gonna be great um i think more than anything i just enjoyed seeing nicholas cage be nicholas cage yeah and i hope this was a rewarding and probably a challenging experience for him and maybe maybe more than most roles i mean you're you're playing a, a, a right pretty legitimate version of yourself a heightened version but you're you're commenting on your own persona on your career right so i hope it was cathartic for him i hope I just hope he is happy. That is really what he, like I he seems happy. Yeah, I mean, that, that's the, what I want out of if this. The that, South by Southwest premiere was yeah. any indication. He seemed to be, you know, enjoying the the fun of it. Um and that maybe that's maybe that's dumb of me to say from like a a movie critic critiquing perspective. Yeah. But ultimately what I wanted out of this was just to have a good time. Yeah. And I want Nicolas Cage to be happy. Yeah. That is what I want. Do your thing, man. I hope this was a great experience for him. I think people seeing this movie, while the box office numbers did poorly, I think it will be another one that people, it will be an easy watch for people to have on Netflix, Hulu, wherever it comes out. Just a, It's just a nice hour, 45 minute movie. Yeah, I'll be interested what, I think I'm less... I don't know. This seems like still a movie that there's a very specific audience for. I, I don't know. It is kind of like kind of walk one of those movies where I walked out and be like, I wonder who the audience, not 
I wonder who the studio thinks is the audience yeah. for this movie is. Um, and of not saying that is like a critique against the movie, but of just like from a marketing perspective, I'm I'm curious what you thought. What whoever was releasing this thought was the the who all was going to come out for this. But and may, I do- maybe the maybe the, the also to kind of like get to the thing I was saying of like the stuff I find more interesting. Like I just thought of this like. I think the version of this movie I almost want in hindsight is like, and this movie I'm about to name, I don't think is a great movie, um, but is a really interesting oddity of the last like 10, 15 years, which is um, I'm Still Here, I believe it's called. Oh, yes. The that's is that the one that's the name of the the Joaquin Phoenix movie? I'm looking this up. Yes, I'm still here. I always get that confused with the Todd Haynes Bob Dylan movie, which okay, has yeah. like a very I, similar title. Right, yeah. Um, but no, of like that movie that was basically like this mock weird mockumentary that like also kind of played out in the public eye, but like at the time it was playing out, like people weren't really sure what was real and what wasn't of basically like Joaquin Phoenix is playing a fictional version of himself in this mockumentary who wants to quit acting and become a hip hop star. And it's, it's, it, it is an interesting idea for a movie and an interesting movie in terms of what it wants to be about and how Joaquin Phoenix wants to like interrogate being a celebrity and sort of like his career and play a kind of like blowhard fictional version of himself and almost wishing like, man, someone like Nicolas Cage would be like the perfect version for something like, like if there's, if this was like a mockumentary with Nicolas Cage playing Nicolas Cage, trying to make a comeback or something and like increasingly tangling it with like, where is the real person versus the fictional person and b- making a whole movie about that kind of question that, kind of kicked off our conversation of who is Nicolas Cage. Um, I think it's some, maybe that's the version of the movie that I wanted. Um, one last thing I wanted to ask you before we, we go. Another weird take I had walking out of this. <laughs> Does this kind of feel like film Twitter, the movie to you a little bit in terms of like, I feel like Nicolas Cage has been warmly embraced as maybe not like film Twitter, internet boyfriend, but film Twitter, like cool uncle. And there's a lot of the conversations Nicolas Cage has with Pedro Pascal that feel like film Twitter or letterbox conversations. There's even like a joke about, do you think it's a spot? The movie's out right now. We can say yeah. there's, there's, there's a pa- reoccurring Paddington two joke about the, the, the majesty of Paddington two, which is, one of the internet's favorite movies of, of all time. I, I don't know. I, I don't even say that is like a criticism. I just had like a weird, it's a bit of like when you and I were talking a lot about don't look up when that came out. And I was like, it's sort of like liberal rage Twitter, the movie. And then this felt like, Oh, this is almost like an algorithm of like film Twitter, the movie all of like film Twitter interests and conversations in one movie now and it was just sort of like it seemed surreal and strange to me walking out of it but now i'm just blinded by rage because you made me think of don't look up again a movie that i <laughs> thought i we were past after it 
didn't do anything at the Oscars. Just look up. But, oh God. Um, yeah, I think that, that that's fair to say. Um, but yeah, that's not necessarily a bad thing. I think, like you said, no, kind of, it's, it was just a weird but, observation yeah, it's, I had. It's there, there, there's certainly a specific audience for it. Um, and that said, going back to kind of how it's done and who, who is the audience for this, mm-hmm. I think that is kind of the weird part of this being like a major studio film, but yeah. also it feeling more like it should have just been like a smaller, quieter release. Um, though I, that said, I do think if it, this was went like right to Netflix and was marketed a specific way of just like, yeah, Nicolas Cage is playing himself, but it's also Pedro Pascal who you also like, and yeah. they're going to have some fun together. Like this would be in the top 10 of Netflix for a couple weeks consecutively. I personally think that, uh-huh. um, again, I am also just, you know, blinded by Nicolas Cage fandom, but yeah, to say it's a, it's a film, like it's a, it's a film Twitter pleaser for sure. Yes. Um, and look at the end of the day, I'm looking for a truffle pig. Well, uh, Daniel, thank you for, for stopping by this week to thank, talk. Thank you for having to me. talk to these two new releases. Yes. Um, don't know what we're going to talk about next week on the show. I guess that's for me to figure it out. There's kind of no, we kind of got a weird week buffer and then summer movies kick off in May. Doctor uh, Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, Top Gun sequel on a smaller scale. I guess we'll have an episode on Alex Garland's men. Um, I will be back to do a two hour dissertation on Morbius and why it is actually the greatest movie of all time. Is that what we need to do next week? Have you seen Morbius? No, I still have. Oh, <laughs> I, still, I do, I I do like. still intend to, even though it has come out no, and no, no, no one no, has no. liked it. The, well, you can see Morbius. I feel like the, at this point, I need to make this a bit on this podcast of like, Morbius is real. not yeah, a real movie. And I have seen zero evidence to that as an, an actual motion picture that was released out into the world. Not to prolong this, but are you prepared for the Morbius sequel? Because it did well enough that there will be a sequel. I, I, I don't know if that's confirmed or not. I, I speak without any knowledge of this, but there will be a, a second Morbius. Are you mentally preparing yourself for 2025 Morbius 2? Um, look, whatever tax evasion scam people got to come up with, uh, that's, that's cool. Um, you know, I will be excited for the next fictional movie that doesn't exist actually exist when um i see proof that uh this movie that i don't believe actually exists actually exists so that's that's how i'll end it this week 